and welcome to Here's the Tea, the podcast for contemporary tea culture with Anna Pavlak. And today's special Easter egg surprise is um, my tea master and artist, Adam Wojcinski. And we're talking today about the tea room as a sacred space and maybe a little bit how you can create a space of contemplation and meditation in your own home. So welcome, Adam. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> so Adam is one of the few uh, direct disciples of the current grandmaster of the Ueda Soko school. That's a style of Chanoyu, the way of tea, which is the Japanese tea ceremony. And he's also his personal uh, translator, English translator. And um, he's also a translator of the formative manuscripts of Chanuyu and a researcher of the beginnings of Chanuyu, so the beginnings of the way of tea uh, in general. And um, he's a co-founder of the World Tea Gathering, which is a group of tea activists uh, that explore the possibilities of tea as an art of togetherness um, about creating community. So um, welcome, Adam, and thank you for being here today on Easter Sunday. Thank you for inviting me. Um, it's very, very fitting day to talk about our topic. I think so too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, thank you for the last few episodes that we've done. So yeah. I feel very lucky to be on there. Brilliant. So um, I want to take um, this the um, this this moment here on on the live stream always to to also get to know the people that we're talking to a little bit more and uh, introducing people to um, the the way of tea as it could be today. And so I'd like to ask you maybe could you tell us about maybe how you even got into tea and what your first tea experience was because I think tea master is like it's such a big name and how does even one become a tea master how do you know how does one even start so I think it would be super nice to know where did it all start and um, yeah uh, tea is very easy my dad is up to he sent me drinking alcohol, but, but he, um, like, like water is, is um, oh, tea is his water. So I was exposed to tea as soon as I could remember the memories of my house. Um, and he just, just constantly cut his all day. Um, but then when I got exposed to the, the spiritual side of tea, it was probably through uh, MCA and the Beast Boys. And there's their album called Communication, which is just after MCA has started exploring the Buddhism, and he started putting some of the values, spiritual values, and the moral path of Buddhism into his lyrics. And so when I heard that, I was like, oh wow, being somebody from rural Victoria or Australia. Um, surrounded by coal mines and it's terrible. So there was something in that that's like, oh wow, there's something um, here that I'd like to explore and could promise something a little bit better than getting a trade and becoming a plumber or something like that. Not that that's a bad thing. <laughs> I wasn't really orientated towards that sort of thing. So when, when I heard that, 
from the communication album that really set me off on a path of exploration into Buddhist philosophy and art. Okay, amazing. Um, sorry to, to interrupt. The, um, your your audio is a little bit quiet. Is it, is there a, a way to like turn it up a little bit? Oh, come closer. Oh, come closer. Yeah. Come closer yeah. to us. Ceilings are very high here. Yeah. I need to turn on some light too. Hold on a sec. Sorry, maybe people can hear that a bit better. Oh, this is better. Is it better? Yeah. I also need a bit more light because yeah. I say, like, oh, I can't really see. When I teach, I, I have to put that because it sounds a bit too. Oh, there's some people in. Yes. Ah, sick. Oh, there's some people in there. Oh, I'm going to get embarrassed now. Okay. So, All right, see. So there you go. So through MCA, and then I split together a bit more practically through that, and um, through reading uh, Buddhist philosophy and whatnot. One of the things I really liked was um, uh, Zen poetry, and to understand that a little bit better, when I started university, I um, I took Japanese just like a win to see if that was going to help my understanding of Zen poetry, which. Yeah. It didn't. <laughs> um, but anyway, it got me, um, I was studying Japanese, I got a scholarship in Japan. Uh, and so when I went to Japan, then I really discovered the TCRA. Um, How long ago was this with, um, when you got your scholarship? I don't know what it was. I'm recording on the, I'm recording on here, which is another one. Oh, now it's dangling oh. in the. <laughs> I'll just come closer and see if that works. I'll just come closer. How's that? Yeah, it's nice. No. So, um, so what was the question again? Sorry. So, uh, when was it when you got your scholarship to go to Japan? That was the second year of university, so well, I was nineteen years old. Mm. Mm. And at that point, you've already realised that you know that that Japanese tea was your thing, or was what was your? Um, no, no. no, I am um, in in the reading that I did. I was at university, I was majoring um, in philosophy. I changed after I came back from Japan to philosophy and Japanese. Mm. Um, but I was originally going to do a double major in philosophy and theology. And um, I think it's relevant for the same, isn't it? So I um, can't get comfortable here. Um, so <clears throat> through the reading I was doing associated with esoteric Buddhism and Buddhism and whatever, I think possibly as an example of the feeling or the con a concrete lived example of these concepts was the tea ceremony. And um, so that made me very interested about, wow, something so simple as tea can embody and can help you realise these very high lofty spiritual values. Mm -hmm. um, and because my father had used tea, um, you know, all his life, it was like a, like a daily routine, it wasn't such a, it wasn't a ritual, it was a routine, um, but still I had that like, affinity and I had that background because um, my dad's a pretty calm person. Um, maybe it's the tea, I'm not sure. Um, but still, there was like a link there um, that really piqued my interest and I wanted to explore it further. And so when I arrived in Japan, uh, about three weeks later, there was a university festival and there was a tea gathering happening for that. And so then I went and attended and the sensei immediately like said that there was something that my, my aura and I have to come back the next day. Like, okay. So I went back the next day and they suited me up in my 
kimono cosplay sort of thing. And, and I was doing the um, sweet serving and tea serving in the tea room. And I just ignored the ambience in the tea room. And I started a week later and I haven't stopped. Oh, wow. So um, quickly. And was that was uh, the Ueda Soko style of, yeah, of yeah. making tea there? Could yeah, you... Yeah. Could you tell us a bit more about what that is? Because we had uh, Tia's on last week talking about the Enshu school. And I think it would be super interesting just to hear a few more words about what Weda Soko means or, you know, what it stands for. Oh, it's the name <laughs> just of briefly, you know, just the nuts and bolts. <laughs> Nutshell. Nutshell, go on then. Soko is the name of a bloke that lived a long time ago. Um, <laughs> he was a samurai warlord. Mm-hmm. Um, and he really dug tea. So the, the warrior class of Japan were doing tea to strengthen themselves spiritually. Like they had to live constantly with death and the chance of death. Um, so to strengthen their spirit, um, tea was a central part of their spiritual practice so mm-hmm. that they could be less fearful of death. In, that's in a nutshell. Of course, there's a lot more other parts. And it's also an avenue for artistic expression. Like if you're if you're a part of the warrior class, like you're born into that class. And people like uh, Fruit Odibe, one of my idols, who was a sort of teacher, like this bloke was an artist. Like he was a creator. He wasn't really suited to you know, fight with the sword. Um, and so T also gives people an avenue for artistic expression. Mm. Um, and like a lot of people ask, what the difference between uh, warrior class tea and merchant class teas, mm-hmm. uh, because most people will be familiar with like the Senke schools of tea. So you have like Urusenke, Senke, Mishikoji Senke. They're the big three where most of the population of tea practices are one of those schools. And warrior class schools of tea are sort of like stuck out in different prefectures, not centralized in Kyoto, although there is uh, the Yabanuchi school in Kyoto. But like pe- people like uh, Urusoko, he was out in Hiroshima. He was uh, uh, in Tokyo. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was more, this, this is my interpretation, so if people want to get angry at me, that's okay. But um, the, the warrior class schools of tea are more about um, the body and the breath and the spirit and how to get that flowing and become one with your tea pieces and the aesthetic concepts that they embody. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a big emphasis on like yin-yang philosophy and how to intertwine that so you can experience the ultimate when you're doing, experience eternity when you're doing tea. Very profound shit, you know? So, and then with um, merchant class schools, um, having so much power is a threat to the power class, which is warrior class. Yep. The merchant yep. class schools are about the soft power, so they're more about uh, the showing off these uh, spectacular utensils mm-hmm. to the people that own them or the, the proper handling of utensils. Okay. Uh, so it's more about being in the shadows with yourself and your body mm-hmm. and your spirit, but bringing the utensils out into their life. And the warrior class schools are more about working on the person. Of course, you work on the person in merchant class schools of tea. Like, mm-hmm. um, but if there was like a big cutthroat difference between what's going on in the philosophy behind each school, historically, that was um, one of the differences in philosophy, I would say. But of course, today, there's no warrior class, there's no merchant class anymore. 
So the emphasis really does become about the spiritual path in all schools of tenure, but historically speaking, that's my interpretation. Okay, brilliant. So, and was there any any sort of so when you realised the difference between uh, merchant style and warrior style school, was there at any point a a choice that you that you said, oh, you know, I identify myself, you know, belonging more to this because of this or because of that, or was it more, well, you know, I started with this school, therefore I stuck with it. Um, what? You yeah, know, I had. A... <laughs> I um I had no idea that there was different schools of tea even when I came back to Australia after seven months. Mm-hmm. And I started looking around to see what was available to me in Melbourne. I was in Melbourne in Australia at the time. And um, lo and behold, a CV popped up. Oh, here's a school of tea. I'll go and practice with them. So I contacted my sensei in Japan and said, oh, I found a neurosynthesis group. group. Um, I'll, I'll just continue my studies with them. Yeah. And uh, I got a very fast reply saying, don't. <laughs> do not do that <laughs> and then I'm like oh um, okay and she said no no, no you've, you've fallen into um, a small school of tea that has a very rich history and even though it's little known it's still uh, very rich and fruitful to study the school of tea mm-hmm. you've already started on this path so that means something so you should honour that twist of fate and continue it's what you've fallen into oh, fair enough so that's what I did Amazing. And so my correspondence was like we were writing letters back then, you know. This is like mm-hmm. year two thousand. <laughs> so you had to wait for your reply if you're allowed to start with Urasenka or not, or why not? Or... <laughs> yeah, look, I've got heaps of Urasenka friends, so I'm almost like studying by the phone now, anyway. Mm. Yeah. So um, maybe can you? Um... I mean, so many questions now, but um, maybe talk a little bit about the work that you do now as well, a little bit. So, you know, so you studied Uras, uh, so you studied Urasoko since you were at uni, essentially, uh, continued, uh, so, so started with during your scholarship, went back to Australia, continued. That was long distance that you practiced, essentially? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then, how, I mean, how long does it take to you know, to get to a point where you can teach or actually pass on knowledge or to get to a state is, I mean, is there, you know, like, is there testing or is there, you know, is it just an ongoing thing forever or how does it work? <laughs> um, if you want to go by streets, like what bit of paper do you need to have to teach? That differs on every school. Every school will have a certain level where they're comfortable with people teaching. Mm-hmm. And, like, for instance, you know, at a civil school, it's, it's very stable. Mm-hmm. So, you get to a certain level, you're able to assist the head teacher of the shachu, like a, a branch of, of the school that's called a shachu. So, Songu Shachu is my shachu. So, when people get to a certain level, they're able to assist me. So, they can have students, mm-hmm. but in the end, everything is my responsibility. I have to make sure that it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And the further higher up you go, the more independence you have. And then when you have all the qualifications, you know, you're considered to have something called kaiden, which means all, all full transmission. Mm-hmm. And then you can go away and create your own shachu if you want to. Mm-hmm. Not everyone does that. Often people just stay under the same shachu. They're very happy to pop along doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when it comes to when you're ready to teach, like it's a feeling that you get. Um, so some people will do their whole tea life and they'll have this vast amount of knowledge, but they won't be orientated towards teaching, so they won't. Mm-hmm. 
and that's, that's fine. Um, and some people will have that, that burn inside them from a very early stage. Um, and then it's up to the, the teacher of the shachu to work with that and see how that can flower. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. So would you, would you be willing to share some of your tea making and maybe make us some tea as well? Oh, I'll just kind of, like, oh, I'll get a bit too, I'll get a bit too crazy. I'll, smash it. I'll, I'll do all that. I'll just, yeah. I'm just yeah. scared that people won't be able to hear if I'm so far away. Okay. I mean. If I get a bit too hard to hear, let me know, yeah? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's, it's just nice to, like, get a bit of an idea so that people can see um, what tea ceremony is about. This is actually um, my sacred space, which is the topic of today. Yes. Um, just before the confinement here in France, I just started looking for a separate uh, atelier mm -hmm. that I could set up and have a more substantial um, digs so wherever I can set up and do something more creative uh, with uh, my tea practice. But mm -hmm. at the moment, um, I'm still limited to this very tiny room, so... It actually fits in pretty well with what we'll talk about later. But yeah, I think I think this time is 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 quite challenging for a lot of people because um, I was talking to someone else recently just about how how you know this 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 confinement you know that you know that that we need to be at home more and and forces us a little bit more to go inward and and having to deal with yourself. And I think um, not having an outlet necessarily that is a, that can be done in you know in your own room or in your own home. I mean, some people do have a big house. Some people do live in small spaces. Um, some people just live in their own room, you know. Um, yeah. And I think the just to say, oh, you just you should just meditate or just start, you know, just start a meditation practice or whatever. Um, yeah. I think to, to find a way into that is, is quite challenging, especially for people who are very outgoing and very about very much about connecting with other people and, and get a lot of feedback and like learning a lot by, you know, being always be able to, to reflect and like, you know, always, you know, have an exchange of energies. So now that people have to essentially exchange energy with themselves in order to, you know, to just uh, deal with the situation. Um, I think, making your living space um, more, I don't know, prepared in a way that you can actually be there, do the things that you normally do, but on a small scale is a very crucial part. Um, yeah. But for me as well, I mean, when I, when I learned, oh, well, for a long time for me, tea ceremony wasn't something that I, I considered because I had um, never experienced it properly. Oh, there's our tea now. Here's the tea. Yeah. Um, Whichever one have it, sorry, I'm going to have to yeah, sorry. <laughs> One day, one day, we come on to Marseille. And, um, so. Uh, so I think, um, especially because there's a lot of uncertainty about what's going to happen uh, the other, other side and what's happening at the moment, mm. if you start to start a meditation practice like now, you start very, very slowly, mm. but if you start to go into hardcore because there's so much uncertainty about what's on the other end of the confinement um, and there's like 
so many things that that relates to, like your, your job or your financial situation or your family relationships. Um, there's so much going on. Um, so rather than starting a meditation practice normally in the normal world, starting it now is particularly a volatile time and you'll find a lot of things are starting to uh, come up and uh, the mind really attacks you when you go into quietude. So especially now more than any other time, I think it's um, a pretty volatile time to start a meditation practice. So slowly but surely, bit by bit, um, and don't dive into it too hardcore, I think is, is the key. Yeah. I mean... Uh, I think I started with you when, when I was still working in an office and I was really stressed and I actually found that this, this type of meditation practice that you do with tea um, really helped me because tea was something I could relate to already because I know about tea and I, you know, and I was familiar with it to a certain point, but actually Japanese tea ceremony or the way that Ueda Soko teaches it is very different um, because, you know, you've got all the different utensils and the way of moving. So for me, that, that was a really good way in, into going to it because I was just focusing on the movement and learning. I mean, you know, I'm still, I'm still a baby, so to speak in that, but um I, I really felt felt was super helpful. So maybe you can tell us a bit more about the role of 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 the tea room in terms of spiritual practice and what even is you know a sacred space for tea because that's what a tea room essentially is. You know, um, mm. tea tea room or um, chastity. Probably make it easy for me to talk if I can use the word chastity. Um, yeah. So. Um, the way it appears in, in Japan through Chanoyu or the way of tea um, mirrors very similar appearances that we find in, in cultures all over the world. So uh, one of the best examples that comes to mind is um, I had the pleasure of experiencing this last year. It was an American Indian uh, sweat house. I don't know if that's the right term, but anyway, it's a little like cabin that they build. Um, with the hearth in the middle, in a church that's in a tea room, there's a hearth in the middle. People get around the fire um, and they bring hot stones in and there's four parts to this uh, ceremony. Mm-hmm. And there's four parts, crudely speaking, in the, the full flow of a tea ceremony in China Yu. Um, and you'll have other things where people are going into these small, dark spaces uh, to discover something about themselves or to commune more deeply with nature. So like a great example here again in, in France, uh, it's one of the oldest known um, historical records of people burrowing down into the dark caves and drawing cake drawings. That's just 100 k's down the road there. Um, and this is common all over uh, the world. Like, look at Australian Aborigines. Um, there's a lot of this going on. Two, um, these things that I'm using here from Ghana. This um, pot here is a shaman's pot um, that people grind a, a vine leaf in the top in this little grooves here, right? Mm-hmm. And then infuse the vine leaves with the water and purify themselves before they go into their space through their rituals, which is about the same size uh, as a tea room, which is about three metres square. Four and a half max tea room is about three metres square. Um, so there's a great overlap of these practices in different cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, and you look at kids, 
they create cubby houses and we burrow into somewhere and we like to go in and create our own world in these. So there's like something very um, deep in human beings about entering somewhere small and dark to discover what lies in our imagination and explore our, um, our depth. Um, so the Japanese tea story is not unique in any way in that. It's just one of the ways that it has um, appeared in the world and it happens to be a very beautiful way and thanks to the tremendous legends over the last 450 years in Japan, they decided to codify it all and we can study it now. So it's a very accessible way to tap into this um, um, depth of human experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes down to it, like if you want to create something in your own home, um, you can take the essential parts of what appears in the Japanese tea ceremony and everybody can create a space in their own home. So um, you, know, you don't need the space of what I'm in now, even small is, is okay. I don't want to go off on a tangent if you have another like, question before I go off on a tangent, but in, but in. So, no, 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 that's, that's, that's good, that's great. Like, yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> All right. So, um, um, I don't know, there's something you know, that we need. And what we have um, routines, mm-hmm. um, which is dominating life um, at the present state. Well, maybe after Corona, we um, might have a different way of looking at things and not be so attached to our routines. But um, you have routines and we do things like we listen to podcasts when we are doing our routine. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're not really engaged with the routine. But if we're going through a ritual or ceremony where we're fully engaged with these things, it's something we do, it's a practice that we can repeat, like we can repeat a routine, but the ceremony and the ritual is actually feeding our, our spirit. So um, that's very important. Um, because if we just do routines, we lose track of ourselves, we lose, we lose sight of our nature, and we start to become very thin people. Um, so creating a, a space for yourself in your own house is a way that you can live with ritual and ceremony as well as the necessity of routine. Um, so like ceremony is, um, for me, what's a... Well, sacred space, a sacred space for me would be a place where we can commune with the infinite. Okay, it's, it's a place where the self can feel like it's uh, um, uh, reconnecting with something eternal. Mm-hmm. Okay, so <clears throat> that has very many forms and many religious traditions will have different rituals that you can do to do that. Um, and if you take religion out of it, you can do it as well. Like all you have to do is cut off all um, thought forms and sensory stimulation and just feel what's lying in the background there all the time. And lo and behold, there's something that's buzzing in the background all the time, which is you know, existence itself. It's your bare being without your person, without your eyes, without your limbs, without anything without your history, there's just something that's like humming in the background all the time. And if you can feel that, um, it's joyful. And when you tap into your sacred space, it should be a space where you can go back to 
that what's humming in the background all the time and resting in that joy that you find there when you take everything away. So sacred space is something where you can um, reconnect to the infinite. Yourself can reconnect to the infinite. And that can essentially be a space that you create within another space. So let's say you just live in a room. <clears throat> let's say you live in a community or something, or, you know, like you're in, with your family or whatever, you have a room in that house, that's your space. But within that space, you can even like, it doesn't matter how small it is, you can create a place that would enable you to, to physically go to, to then spiritually go somewhere. Well, here's and, one I can put earlier. So um, let, me, let me show you. I'll give you a quick tour. Okay. So as I said, I, I haven't got my atelier because you know, I started looking just before she hit the fan with Corona. Yeah. So what I've got here, right? Um, this is my makeshift alcove. Uh, yeah, maybe if you can explain what the, the things, you know, the, the things that you have in your space that you find in a um, tea room normally as well, <clears throat> because I think not everyone's necessarily familiar with the bits that make a tea room. Okay. So, <laughs> So, so here's like just the chabana that I had for yesterday's group kekel, right? And it's a dandelion, so the sun's going down now, so it's closing up. Um, so a flower is very important because a flower reminds us, and that's part of that hum that's in the background. Like there will always be something that exists when we when we are born, and um, we're born into that hum. When we die, that hum is still there. And so a flower is something that can remind us of that. And um, it sort of instigates a bit of awe. And awe is linked to reverence because it's something I'll talk about a bit later. But you can have a piece of calligraphy. So flowers are very essential to a tea room. This is a piece of a calligraphy. This is actually a gift from a dear friend of mine who lives in Paris. Um, this is a, a hand-drawn New Year's card. And I've just added my own charcoal because I'm a little kid and I love drawing the walls. There's like unborn, undying. So for me, that, that reflects um, that hum of what's in the background all the time that I was talking about before. Yeah. It's, not, it's not born. It never dies. It's always there. And when you tap into it, you experience joy. Um, and I've just got a little bit of fabric that I love. Um, a bit of scrap of Japanese newspaper because I love walking around in graffiti and low-income areas and seeing garbage and stuff chucked everywhere and burnt out cars, but there'll be a flower growing up through it. I love that aesthetic, so that's you know, to remind me of that. Um, and some incense is also pretty central to, uh, very important to a tea room. So this is, my, this is a glue pot, actually, an old French glue pot. Um, mm -hmm. I use that as my incense holder. So these, these three basics, if you want to make an alcove for yourself, mm -hmm. um, flowers, um, calligraphy, or it could be just a poem. You know, I'll just write a poem that you might, might want to put there for a week mm -hmm. and then change it the next week um, and some incense. So and if you want to go even further, you can actually elevate it. So rather than just put a bit of something on the floor like I've got, you might get a low table, for example, and create an alcove on a low table. Mm. But, so um, oh, there's one, one point I should mention, though, is um, an alcove is like it's a place in your home where you you welcome the, the holy, you welcome the sacred into your home. 
So there's actually very common in homes of old um, that Nalco is actually part of the architecture of the house. And now, of course, we've taken that away in most homes. But you know, Japanese tea room is a central part of the, of the tea room is um, to have an alcove. And so it's like an open space where it's the highest part of the room. Um, in tea, you have the highest parts called kami, the lowest part of the room is called shimo, right? And so the kami part of the room is where the alcove is, roughly speaking. Um, and that's where you put objects to meditate on. So that's where you put the calligraphy, that's where you put the cloud, the incense. Um, they'll set the theme um, for the day, and that theme is usually a deep meditation. Okay? Um, and then um, for us, continuing on with the sacred space in your home. So an alcove is one of the things that you want in one um, sacred space. Um, and the other thing is you just need like a space of a single tummy mat. So I've got my tummy mat here. Okay. Um, and it's actually quite symbolic because in Buddhism, monks um, live in the space of one tummy mat. So they sleep, like a, a nickname for a monk is a uh, whole son, which means like one tatami mat son, Mr. <laughs> tatami mat. Amazing. Um, Amazing. And so at the end of the tatami mat, they have like their bowls where they eat, they sleep in that space, and they can basically operate in that one mat. So to create something in your own home, you don't even need a rug, like you don't even need tatami. Like I've got my little Moroccan rug here too, that I use for my guests. Um, you can just have a rug, a little alcove, and go if you like. Make tea in that space, meditate in that space, um, do incense, like do incense is part of tea as well. So, you know, do incense in that space, um, do gongfu in that space. Um, but as long as it's a dedicated space, it's always there. So you're conscious. That, that exists in your life, that communion with the sacred exists constantly in your life if you dedicate space in your house to it. Is it important that it always stays in the same spot? So, you know, if I say, oh, you know, this week I feel like this is my sacred space and so, I mean, wow. is that an important part or? Uh, um, it can be. Um, for the onset, it probably is. Um, because an important part about maintaining a sacred space is cleaning. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's like a, you're getting out your sacred space, setting it up and then putting it away, it doesn't really give you a fixed location to clean every day. There's something very powerful in cleaning your sacred space every day. Um, so the best thing, I think, is to have a dedicated spot, even if it's just the alcove that's out. Like you might roll the rug out in front of it to do your practice of gong fu or yoga or tea or whatever. Mm-hmm. But if that alcove stays in the same spot and you clean that, like for instance, some days you might be too busy to bust out a temple. You might be too busy to do some gong fu in the morning. You might be too busy to do five minutes of yoga. But you can just wipe down your alcove and light some incense. And you're still there, like that day, like you've still tapped into that space. Mm. And that, that can be very powerful practice, I think. To a question, actually, I, I just have that. So number one would be, um, 
I'm interested in the in the three parts. So you know, you said a flower, a poem, and incense. Is there something about these components? I mean, it seems to me like you know, the the flower is something to look at. Maybe the poem is something to read and stimulate the spirit. Maybe the incense, the sensor. I don't know. Can you talk more about the role of these parts? They're basically just acts, just things to focus the mind. Um, you don't need all three, right? Like incense, um, something changes about the atmosphere and changes something in your spirit. Like incense um, awakens the spirit, and one of the things about being in your sacred space is, is opening your heart. So incense is a good way to get you to that point. Mm. Um, flowers, as I said before, is just um, something that reminds us of life force that's dormant in both us and other things. And um, the vitality in a flower reflects that same vitality that's buzzing away in the background, um, like being with the capital B. Mm. Um, so that can be a good meditation on that joy that's always in the background. Mm. Um, and, of course, a flower is it's when you've cut that flower, it's like it becomes a sacrifice to your spiritual practice. And spiritual practice is all about the acceptance of the circle of life and death. And so it can become a meditation on that as well. Um, and the calligraphy is, um, it's like usually a Zen praise or something, right? That um, helps you with your practice, helps you focus your mind. Um, it's a, can be a riddle or something that you, can't solve with logic, and so you have to step outside your usual habit of using logic to solve problems and solve problems with your guts. It's like your mind is secondary to your to your um, to your belly, right? So you're more connected with the root being through your guts than what you are through your intellect. So it's like um, it's quite ironic that you're using something of words to get out of your intellect. Mm. Um, but I'm not a big fan. Everybody that I teach knows that I'm not a huge fan of calligraphy and that they, well in the past they should die and we should do other things in the alcove now because they're boring. But anyway, so that's that's And um, you mentioned that cleaning is a super big part of um, tea practice and meditation practice. Um, mm. I mean, there's, there's books written about, you know, I mean, Marie Kondo is kind of, building on that a little bit as well you know like and I, i'm sure like a lot of people are spending now time maybe cleaning up the things like the lofts that they have been ignoring for for years or the cupboards um maybe can you tell us a bit more about the power of cleaning what role it plays and maybe also in your education i mean you told me a little bit uh, a few stories about your your training and what cleaning uh, what part cleaning played in there uh, i didn't pick up the chashaku for like, I don't know, the after two or three months. So I was just like vacuuming and wiping the chashitsu before I actually played with him. Um, mm. Cleaning is, um, cleaning helps bring clarity to, to your mind. So there's a few steps, like, mm. I'll talk about cleaning after, I, I'll give that the big answer and I'll come and break it down. Okay, cool. So one of the things um, I thought was incredible about the sweat lodge um, that I experienced in the American Indian ceremony, it was actually in France that I experienced this. 
Um, but they had the, the four doors, they call it the four ports, the, the doors that you go through in each place. The first one is a welcome, where you um, introduce yourself to whoever's there, okay, and interpret that the way you want. And the, the second stage is there's an intention. You lay an intention or it might be a question. Like there's something you're, you're wanting to work out or understand. Um, and then the third stage is uh, the reception. You get, you get the gift. There's a download that happens. You get an answer. You understand something more fully. Mm-hmm. And then the last stage is gratitude. And so you get gratitude for that whole process and you integrate what's just happened into your life and you go out into the everyday world again, hopefully a better person. And in Chanayu, it follows very similar stages. So just in a nutshell, like the third stage is also the deepest stage and the last stage is also an integration of what has just happened before you go off and out into the everyday world. Very similar to what happens in this world. And... Um, of course, there's a whole other depth that I haven't explored yet, so sorry for simplifying it for people that are American Indians. Um, then with, with tea, this fall repeats quite a lot, and so the big whiz-bang snappy phrase that everybody hears about two months into their study of tea is uh, waki seja. Okay, so waki seja. So what is harmony? Key uh, gets translated most often as respect. C is purity, and Jaku is tranquility. Okay, my students are probably laughing at me right now because they know that I hate when people talk about this in a talk. Anyway, <laughs> it's relevant. It's relevant today because one of the ways you can experience what key C Jaku for your sacred space, is that, like, for instance, why I hate people talking about this in the talk? What the bloody hell is harmony? You know, like, define harmony. And people don't. They're like, oh, and like, expecting it to tap someone. And people go, oh. But in the end, they're like, well, what the bloody hell does that mean? But harmony, in, in terms of what we're talking about now in the sacred space, is um, cleaning, clarity. So when you clean your space, you're creating um, harmony. You're putting things in order, and at the same time you do that, you're putting your mind in order. Mm. It's a big part of Zen Buddhism. Your outside world reflects your inside world. Okay? So when you're cleaning, you're putting your mind in order at the same time. And then once you have that clarity of mind, then we go into key. And one of the ways that I like to interpret key rather than respect is uh, reverence, because reverence is a lost value um, of our time. And holy damn, the world would be so much better if people had reverence. Um, so um, ikke is actually the word for reverence in Japanese. It uses the same character, right? And so reverence is when you feel awe. So you'll just put... Um, your mind in a more clear state, you'll put your surrounds in order, there's harmony, and now you start to tap into something deeper, and lo and behold, there's a feeling of awe. 
You feel small. Nature is a far greater truth than what you are, and you start to feel that. And then you go into uh, C, which is uh, purity, and what the bloody hell is purity? Um, you know, my interpretation of purity is actually very, um, very related to the time of year that we're in now. It's a Christian festival as we celebrate it now. Um, Mary, Mary Magdalene is one of my um, um, most influential historical figures in spirituality. And reading about her practice and some people that have commented on her spiritual path, one of the things I come across was um, um, purity is awakening the heart or opening the heart. And which is bloody profound. <laughs> so clarity is all about getting your mind in order. And when you experience all through reverence, then you can start to open your heart to the deeper truths of being. And lo and behold, Jakku, which is where Ray grew up from Star Wars, it's one of the desert planets out on the other side of the universe. Now, Jakku is um, tranquility. So that's the, what I've been saying um, about that hum that's constantly there. So tranquility is when you have these fleeting moments when you're doing tea or when you're meditation practice, when you feel that there's something that exists eternally and it's actually you. And so there's this constant hum and that's there all the time. And when you realise that that's there all the time, you're overcome with joy. It was a beautiful word, um, Mishor, it's like one of my favourite incense. It means like that wry smile, so you'd be meditating and you tap into that fleeting moment and you're just like, Because oh. <laughs> it is, like existence, like existing is joyful. Mm. So that Waki Sejaku, um, in terms of your sacred space, um, I would love if people think of it that way. So um, clean, feel reverence. Open your heart and tap into um, the infinite and feel the joy. Amazing. So um, in terms of the sacred space, I think if that's something you remind yourself when you go in there, um, it's a pretty good way to start to get into a rhythm of how to use that space and to tap into these deeper things in your life, which we're all missing. Amazing. So, so maybe I mean, so I think now is also a good time maybe to start taking questions and stuff. But um, just before we do that, um, maybe I think so. It's great to like know how to set up your space, and and cleaning can be a really good part to like get into that space and and enter the space and get you your mental and spiritual, you know, enter your spiritual world. I guess. Um, <laughs> If people, I think this, this question that was just asked here is a really, I think is a good question because <clears throat> what do you do in that, in that space then, you know, because I think there's very many ways of, of meditating, you know, using your breath, using your body, um, and in our case, using tea. So the question is when you perform Chanu Yu, what's your main intention What is it that you want to share when you do it? And how is it different when you do it by yourself or with guests? 
I think this kind of taps into it maybe a little bit. Um, Somebody made the question, okay. what is it and what, what is it that she wants to share with? Wow. Okay. Oh, you got another hour? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, mm, should we, should right, we um, make another date? <laughs> um, all right. So when you're talking about what's, what's your main intention, okay. Um, that de depends on who's doing channel you. Um, and it will change with your guests. Um, so that's a little bit about the last part of the question. So when I perform Chana Yu, um, I want to um, reassociate myself with nature, with a capital N. Okay, and that can take on very many different different flavors uh, depending on the day and the time and the season, the occasion, whatever. Um, but basically, I want to have an experience of the ultimate ultimate Okay. Um, all right, so but when you're doing it with guests, um, it's the sharing that um, together. Um, so when you have other guests, um, you want to experience um, eternity in the tea room together. Okay? Well, there could be other meanings for doing um, a tea ceremony. Like you might want to have a remembrance or a memorial tea ceremony for like a, someone that's passed away or something. Okay? Well, then, of course, it takes on a different meaning. Mm. But you can adapt. But basically, you want to do like the, the root core function, um, it would be that spiritual function. Okay. Um, how is it different when you do it by yourself or with guests? Okay. When, when you do by yourself, um, it becomes a personal meditation. So basically, just everything I've been talking about now, I've had to use your sacred space. Mm. When you do it with other people, um, you open up your inner world and you share it with other people. So when you're doing, when I say this to my students all the time, like they go inside the temai and there's like there's a wall here and it's like you're over there having fun by yourself and you're leaving us out in the cold waiting for our tea and, you know, we'll get a takeaway if you don't mind because I can't be bothered. <laughs> so, but you open up your heart. Like they're opening the heart that I was talking about before. And you show your deeper self. And because we're human beings, we see, our, we see ourselves reflected in the other person doing tea in front of us. And therefore, um, when we have the tea room, we have your sacred space, it's all clean, it represents the one, okay? And then you have the host and the guests that come into that tea room and you have duality. Hmm. Through the course of the gathering, you're trying to get back to that one. So yourself and your guests are trying to come together to that state where you experience the infinite together, hmm. I think. Beautiful. I mean, I have to say, like, when I, I said before that I, I was learning about you and I already knew about you for years. Actually, we had met in Australia. And so I knew, I knew about tea ceremony. I knew that you did the tea ceremony but I didn't have a relation to it and, until I, I was living in Japan and came back. And when you then made tea for me here in Berlin, I felt it for the first time. And I actually was, I thought you really, <laughs> you have to experience it. And I think, I mean, that's the difficult thing now because we can't like with all the technology that we have, it's great. But the feeling that you get when someone makes tea for you or you make tea for someone else, and, you know, when you make tea for yourself as well, when you are able to tune in and, like, let everything else 
that worries you or that you know is important in your life that then you just leave it out outside the sacred space for just you know that half an hour or whatever you take um it, it has an impact on you and it, and it speaks to, i mean it speaks to everyone differently but um for me that that when you made tea that was a moment for i was like oh man i think i need to need to get into that you know um <laughs> so um, so maybe for people, um, I mean, I want to invite people to ask more questions now as well, if they want. Um, but maybe you can also tell us a bit more about um, if people wanted to meditate with tea, what options are there or how can they get into that? Because maybe some people might not have heard about it or they, they're interested, but they think, oh, do I have to like, you know, get all the gear that you have there? And that's a bit much. How can I do it? You know, what, 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 um, what is that to, to get you started? Probably the two easiest, easiest ways to do a tea meditation. Um, if you're using leaf tea, um, I think just simple bowl tea. Mm -hmm. You do that on your eyes, <laughs> right? Yeah. Simple bowl tea is a fantastic way to do a tea meditation and to really uh, Reassociate yourself with nature with a capital M, like we're talking about. Um, or if you want to do it with matcha, um, I do a, a diamond tea meditation where you just need, like, you don't need all this, all this stuff here. You just need a chashaku chasen, nuts and meal, just a can that you buy the bloody tea. Is, <laughs> is um, a chawan. And just like a thermos or a hot water source is all you need. You don't need chucking, don't need fooks or anything like that. Um, and you just set up a diamond space um, and do a very rudimentary uh, ritual. Mm. It takes 10 minutes. But that's something ideal to do in your sacred space every day. And that's um, something that, that you teach as well, is that right? Yeah, so if people um, just want to learn that, like rock the house, I don't care, like to to go and do all this fancy shit that I do, like, you know, not everyone wants to do that and I don't blame them. Mm. But if you just want to do a simple tea meditation, like, you can turn that into a tea meal. Like, you can invite mm. friends over, serve them a simple meal, share some incense together, do a diamond tea meditation and then have some gone through at the end and there's a chachi, a full tea gathering as far as I'm concerned. Mm. Um, so if you just want to learn that, like I'd love to have that as a like standard offering, um, but I haven't got around to making it. But in the meantime, just contact me. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> and can you tell us just a little bit more about uh, the tea gathering? Like, what what is the 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 word tea gathering? What the, what they do, and, and and how does that? What is it? I think that's world my question. Uh, um, world tea gathering is a bunch of loose cannons. That um, that explore um, spirituality through art, and and that means through their tea practice. Mm -hmm. So it's more of a, um, a a bit more radical way to explore tea. Um, but when we had a meeting the other day, uh, one of the things we're thinking about is just opening like a, a virtual space where people can come in and and share tea. So that, that'll be, you know, quite a democratic way. Um, yes. But World Tea Gathering is, yeah, we explore, like our, our motto is togetherness. Mm. 
Mm -hmm. So we're trying to bring people together, we're trying to break down the borders between people in whatever form they are um, and pull togetherness through team practice in a more artistic fashion than normal challenge. Brilliant. Amazing. So if we want to find out more about the like your practice and the tea gathering, uh, is there a website for that or where can we find um, it? My website is uh, www.uenasogochanayu.com. Mm -hmm. So I probably should write that somewhere. Yeah, I, th I think I'm going to post. I'm going to post another post on my feed just after this, where I just put your yeah. details, that like your name and your your handle, so that people can. Um... Oh, yeah. 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 And we'll take a website. We're updating at the moment, so it's not live. Okay. Brilliant. And um, and if people wanted to learn about tea ceremony more, they can just get in touch with you, like via the, your email or something. Mm -hmm. Through the wetasocalchannel.com, um, just send me an email through there. 